Friends, this morning scripture reading comes from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They don't have any wine. Jesus replied, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. His mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. The head waiter tasted the water that had become wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. You kept the good wine until now. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. For the word of God in Scripture... For the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. My name is Scott Gilliland, and I'm the senior pastor here at Arapaho United Methodist Church. And before we get into today's message, I want to acknowledge uh, what's taken place this past week as we have survived uh, an extreme winter weather crisis. And I know that many of us have been severely affected by this. And those who haven't or, or those who have been affected maybe less are also wondering, how can we help? Uh, I want to share a few ways in which we, we can do that. Number one, you can help us by letting us know how we can help you. Uh, maybe you've been without power for most of this week. Maybe your house has suffered uh, water damage from burst pipes, or, or maybe something else is going on. If you need any assistance or support, now is not the time uh, to try to walk through this alone. Let your community love you, uh, and you can let us know uh, that you need assistance. Let us know what's going on in your lives, whether it's uh, food or water or uh, finances. In any way that your church can be of assistance, let us know by emailing office at UMC. Org. If you know of others who need assistance or help, please let us know. You are our best eyes and ears for the needs within the community. Uh, second, uh, we can give. We can give our resources and our finances. We work here at Arapaho in the far north Dallas and Richardson area, and we partner with a, uh, an organization called Network of Community Ministries. This is an organization that we actually helped to start decades ago, um, and they do incredible work locally here. They are receiving items right now, and we're going to be collecting those items here on our campus at 1400 West Arapahoe Road. You can drop these items off that you see on your screen. You drop them off at our east side doors if you're able to, to come to campus. Or if you live closer to a network drop-off location, feel free to drop those items off directly at network as well. Um, and wherever you live, I would encourage you to uh, look up where's the local food pantry, where's the local food bank, um, who are the organizations doing great work nearby you if you don't live in Richardson or far north Dallas. Um, and I would encourage you to make those donations as well. 
Arapaho is part of what's called the North Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church, um, and we have a, a fund called the North Texas Disaster Relief Fund. Um, we'll be sharing a, a link to where you can give to that. If you're in a position to make a donation, um, that will help relief efforts throughout our larger North Texas area, and you can see that link either in the live chat or we'll post it on social media, and we'll include information in our next newsletter as well. And lastly, that's the best thing you can do to help at this point is to stay in contact with us um, and with each other. Make sure you continue to check on your friends and family and neighbors and those whom you know. Uh, we organized some staff and volunteers to contact uh, well over 150 of our Arapaho households, primarily those who are 65 and up this past week. And um, what I was so impressed by in my calls was how many people shared with me not only how they were doing, but also how one, two, three, four, even a dozen of their friends were also doing. Um, because there is something about um, the people in place called Arapaho. Your hearts are naturally wired towards compassion and care. And I want to encourage that within us. Keep reaching out and keep checking on those whom you know. And then let us know as the staff and leaders here at Arapaho um, where those needs arise. And that will help us know how we can step into those uh, moments of need as well. Uh, make sure that you're receiving our email newsletter. That's, you can go and sign up for that at arapahoumc.org slash newsletter. Um, and also, if you're on social media, be sure to like us and find us on those various platforms. And that's how you'll learn about upcoming relief efforts and, and ways in which we can help as they come up. This is going to be work that we'll be about for weeks and months to come. I know that Arapaho has a legacy of rolling up our sleeves and doing the work of God's church. And I trust we will continue to live into that legacy as we walk forward together in this season of relief and recovery. So thank you for the ways in which you've already proven to be a good neighbor, and let's continue to love our neighbor as we love God um, in the Arapaho way. So uh, today is also in the midst of a week that has been a historic survival kind of week that is in many ways the capstone to a year that has been a historic survival kind of year as we round the corner and have almost reached 12 months in life during a pandemic. This week is also the week that has begun the season of Lent in the Christian church. The season of Lent, L-E-N-T, is a season in the Christian church where traditionally we reflect upon um, human uh, frailty and sin, and we repent and reflect and uh, prepare ourselves for 40 days for the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm an Enneagram One, so, you know, self-denial, giving things up, focusing on sin, I'm really good at that, right? That's where I like to, to be many times in my own faith journey, and I got to say, the last 12 months have felt like a season of Lent. I don't know about you, but I have felt like I've had to be about self-denial and, and, and confronting human sin on an almost daily basis for about a year now. And, and while that might be a helpful season in years past, this year I think Lent needs to be something maybe a little bit different. And so here at Arapaho, we're going to be engaged in a sermon series that, um, where we look not just at uh, the brokenness and reflect on repentance, but we also, we're going to be looking at the miracles of Jesus in a series called Searching for a Miracle. 
Because the part of the story of Jesus' public ministry is captured in the four Gospels is a story of Jesus performing these miraculous signs of hope and healing and power. And if you're like me, as you read the Gospels and you're seeing these miracles lived out, you can hold a question that I think is a common question for people in the life of faith, and that's this, why don't we see Jesus' miracles today? When we look out in the world and we see the brokenness and we see the hurt, why don't we see these miracles at work in the world today? And so what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks is taking a closer look at some of Jesus' miracles and considering how Jesus calls us not just to witness these miracles bound within the pages of our Bibles, but to actually participate in living out these miracles today. Because I don't think these miracles are just for the history books. I think these miracles can be experienced and expressed in the 21st century if we look a little bit closer. And so what does it mean to walk on water? What does it mean to still the storm? What does it mean to cast out demons in our lives today? That's what we'll be talking about during this Lenten season. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like we're a people who are in need of some miracles right now. And so that's what we'll be about these next six weeks. Today's miracle is an interesting one. Uh, in many ways, this story is meant to be humorous, the story of Jesus turning water into wine. We'll talk about his little back and forth with his mom in a, in a while. Um, but there's more happening here than Jesus simply changing the substance of a liquid. You know, turning water into wine, yeah, on the surface level, that was a miracle that Jesus performed because it was a, a part of the prophecy of the Old Testament, right? Uh, the, the Jewish tradition was that one of the signs that the Messiah had arrived was that the Messiah could turn water into wine. And so, on one hand, it checks that box, but there's so much more happening in this story than what meets the eye. You know, if you talk to a preacher or a pastor uh, who's been in ministry for any length of time, um, and you ask him about a wedding that went sideways, you're liable to hear a story. Jesus is in one of those situations, right, where a wedding isn't turning out the way it's supposed to. Uh, I have a story like that, too. I'm not going to bore you with all of the details right now, but here's the highlights. Um, half the wedding party didn't show up to the rehearsal. That was cool. Uh, the flower girls didn't show up until 30 minutes after the wedding was supposed to have started. That's a good look. Uh, the bride realized she forgot her vows literally moments before she was supposed to walk down the aisle. And then here's the kicker. Uh, the family had not bothered to purchase the song that she wanted to walk down the aisle to. It was actually a Carrie Underwood tune. And so instead, they were going to have her uncle play a YouTube video of the song, and that was how they were going to have the music piped in. The only problem was YouTube decided that was a good music video to monetize. And so rather than her walking down the aisle to Carrie Underwood, the doors opened, and the whole congregation got to hear an ad for the new 2016 Ford Focus. Maybe you've been at a wedding that went sideways. That's my story. Jesus's is a little bit different. He, he's at the wedding reception. And, and, you know, one of the things we have to know before, as we're getting into this text is that um, weddings lasted more than simply a day. It wasn't just like an afternoon or an evening affair. In Jesus' day, weddings were a week-long event. And frequently, the whole community would be invited. And it was the, the bridegroom's job to throw a party of parties. The only problem is this party is coming to a premature end because by about Tuesday, let's say, the wine had run out, and that's a party foul. So is Jesus simply saving a party, or is Jesus doing something more? I think there's a lot more happening here. 
The first is this. It has to do with friendship. Weddings change and weddings stay the same. Even though today weddings are a lot shorter than they used to be, uh, back in those days, the giving of wedding gifts was a common practice. People would, would send gifts in advance of the wedding. And um, one of the common gifts to give would be jugs of wine, because if you're going to throw a party for an entire week, then you had better be prepared, right? And so when the wine runs out halfway through this wedding festivity, it's not just a sign that the bridegroom and bride were ill-prepared. It's not just a sign that the party was over, it was a sign that their friends had run out as well, that maybe they didn't have the kind of friends that everybody else did. Maybe they didn't have as many friends or the kind of social circle that would be expected. And so it was a sign to this couple that they didn't have the friends maybe that they, th- they thought they did. So Jesus steps up reluctantly, but we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus steps up to be a friend to this couple whom we're not even sure Jesus knows. I mean, they're, they're never named, and the relationship that he has to them isn't discussed. Maybe he was just a member of their community. It doesn't say he was a cousin or anything like that. It wasn't his best friend. He was just there. But even though they were little more than strangers, Jesus steps up to be a friend when no one else was able to. And not just in a small way, but in an extravagant way, busting out the big jugs of wine, the good stuff, too, at that. In the Methodist Church, we have a bishop that oversees a regional area, and we're part of what's called the North Texas Conference, and Bishop McKee oversees our conference. And every time Bishop McKee closes a worship service or or is offering his benediction, you know, the last words at a worship service or some speaking engagement, he shares this common benediction uh, almost every time. And and there's this line in there that that he says that always sticks with me. He says, when when we leave this place, wherever we are, um, that we should go out into the world and to be the kind of people that the stranger that we meet might find in us a generous friend. The stranger you meet might find in you a generous friend, he says. You know, that's part of what it means to turn water into wine. It's not simply about changing the substance of a liquid. We turn water into wine. We see this miracle at work in the world around us when the stranger finds in us a generous friend. We turn water into wine when the stranger finds in us a generous friend. We turn water into wine when we boil snow to make toilet water. We turn water into wine when we bring the casserole dish over so that somebody can eat. We turn water into wine when we open up the guest room to let somebody in and find a warm place to stay. We turn water into wine when we volunteer at network to make sure that food can go into the homes of those who need them. We turn water into wine when the stranger finds in us a generous friend. It goes even deeper than that, though, because not only would this have been a faux pas in terms of wedding parties, if the bridegroom and bride had run out of wine, the whole community would know that their party was ending early, and it would have been a mark of shame upon them that they would have carried for years, if not a lifetime. People would always talk about this wedding as the one that went wrong, as the one where, you know what, they didn't have enough friends and they had to call it quits halfway through. This would have been a mark of shame for them that they carried for their lives. And notice that Jesus doesn't call attention to himself in this miracle. In fact, the only people who know, and this is intentional, is his mother, his disciples, and the servants. The head waiter doesn't know. The bridegroom and bride don't know. The the community, the party goers, they don't know. 
And so when the wine is brought out and they realize that the really good stuff is here, over a hundred gallons of high-quality wine has showed up, everyone assumes it's because the bridegroom and bride have saved their like family reserve, the really great stuff for halfway through the party. Nobody does this. This is an extravagant act of generosity on their part. That's what everybody thinks. So they go from this position of shame to this position of high honor. And people will now remember this wedding not because it fell apart, but because it was the wedding party of all wedding parties. In a way, Jesus has not just restored their wine, he is restoring their dignity. And and I lift that up because in chapter 2, the very next story, this leads right into a story that appears in other gospels as well, the story of Jesus uh, chasing the money changers out of the temple. Do you remember this one where he he walks in and and he sees in the temple of Jerusalem what, what should be a house of grace, and instead he sees these money changers at their temples, and they're selling sacrificial animals for exorbitant prices, and effectively what they're doing is they're making sure the poor don't have access to God's grace. And this infuriates Jesus. And just as he brought the bridegroom and bride from shame to a place of honor, he flips over tables and lifts the poor up to honor as well and says, this is going to stop. This is sin. This is not okay. And so chapter 2 is a chapter of Jesus returning dignity to people. This is a word that I think we need to hear more of these days. Because in recent years, it feels like there's been this movement in the way that we speak about each other and the way that we treat one another that robs us and each other of dignity. And I believe part of what it means to follow after Jesus, part of what it means to turn water into wine is to give dignity back to those around us. And sometimes we're called to increase dignity like at the wedding. We're called to increase dignity through quiet moments of personal grace. Jesus doesn't need to be the hero. No one has to know what happened. He's really doing this just for the other people to be lifted up. And sometimes, though, we are called to put our own skin in the game. And Jesus accepts the blame in the temple for himself. Sometimes we're called to increase dignity through louder moments of social repentance and justice, like Jesus in the temple. Sometimes we're called to return dignity through quiet moments of personal grace, and sometimes through louder moments of social repentance and justice. But both are signs that Christ's presence is amongst us. We turn water into wine when we increase dignity in the lives of others. What does it look like to see a miracle today? We turn water into wine when we increase dignity in the lives of others. And then there's this part of the story that always gets a chuckle out of me, and it should out of all of us because it really was intended to be humorous. This would have been the sort of sitcom moment in the gospel as it was being spoken back in those days. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she sees first that they've run out of wine. And you can almost see her nudging Jesus and saying, hey, they've got no wine, is what it says. But you can, you can, you can imagine her kind of going, get in there, miracle boy. Do something about this, right? Don't you have powers to make this better? And Jesus goes, mom, mom, come on, come on, come on. I don't want to do this. It's not my time. And, and, of course, Mary begins to mom the heck out of Jesus. And she walks up to the servant and says, just go do whatever he says. He'll take care of this, right? Um, I love that Mary's really the first evangelist, right? She's the one telling people, do whatever Jesus says. I mean, that's pretty much what evangelism is. Do whatever he tells you. And so then this miracle begins. Mary's the one that knocks that first domino over that begins this chain reaction of Jesus' public ministry. But what's really poignant and profound is that Mary's not just here at the beginning of his public ministry. In the Gospel of John, she's actually the bookends of his life. 
She's here to encourage him into that first act, that first miracle, that first sign that the Messiah has come. And she's also named as one of those who's gathered around the foot of the cross during his crucifixion. In fact, one of the last words he speaks from the cross in John's gospel, he's addressing Mary and also John, who would go on to write this gospel. And he tells Mary to look at John, and he says, this is your son. He tells John to look at Mary, and he says, this is your mother. And what he's asking John to do is to take Mary into his own home like his own mother, because Jesus knows that once he's died, Mary will need a home. It's this heartbreaking moment where Mary, you can read between the lines, you see that Mary knows that Jesus' life is about to end. You know, and I wonder if she's remembering this moment where she encouraged him and she pushed him and she opened herself up in this way to this vulnerability that would lead her to this place of enormous grief. And yet we know that Easter's coming. And this vulnerability that would lead her to suffer in a way that perhaps she didn't know was possible would also be a source of healing and a source of sanctification in her own life. This moment of salvation, not just for her, but for all peoples. My friends, when we turn water into wine, we open ourselves up to a vulnerability led by God's grace. When we turn water into wine, we grow vulnerable by God's grace. It is hard to be a vulnerable people. It is much easier to keep our walls up and, and to push away the needs of others. It is so hard to open ourselves up to the hurt and the pain that can come from adopting a heart of compassion and care for those who maybe we don't even know, maybe we know we don't like. But when we do, we set ourselves in a path that, yes, can include heartbreak, can include pain, can include suffering for the sake of others, but we also open ourselves up to a path of healing, a path of grace, a path of mercy and love and salvation. If we want to see a miracle in the world around us, we turn water into wine when we grow vulnerable by God's grace. So are you searching for a miracle? Would you like to see water turn to wine in the world today? Then let's lead lives where strangers might find in us generous friends. Let's be the kind of Jesus followers that increase dignity in the lives of others, whether through quiet personal moments or moments of social repentance. May we be a people led to vulnerability and the heartbreak and the pain that it brings, but also the compassion and the care and the love and the mercy and the salvation as well. Amen.